When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. <sighs> visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. This episode of Knife Talk is sponsored by Tormac. For your chance to win a T4 sharpening system, visit knifetalk.net to enter the draw. The winner will be chosen on our 10th show and will receive a Tormek T4 and a set of jigs to make your knives razor sharp. Welcome to episode three of Knife Talk. Wow, episode three already. Today I'll be speaking with Jeff Fader of Fader Knives. And like me, Jeff mainly makes knives for the kitchen. So I'm keen to learn more about his processes. So, so hey, Jeff, welcome to the show. Craig, this is a real pleasure. Good, good, good to hear. Good to hear. Now, I can't even believe it that I'm on number three. I listened to the podcast number one with Walter Sorrells, incredible. I listened to Alex Steele number two, incredible. And now here's the drop off of Knife Talk. The you had incredible precipitous drop off. <laughs> you had some favorite. great warm up acts. This is your moment. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's you're killing me, but that's fine. I'm with you. It's unbelievable. So, so let's try and set the scene. I, I tried to do this at the beginning of each episode. So, um, are you in your workshop at the moment? No, I'm not. I'm in the house. Okay, okay. I'm in a quiet room. Is your workshop at home? I, I'm actually. I have two workshops. I have a workshop at home. And I'm building a new shop uh, about a mile and a half from my home. Oh, very nice. Very nice. Yeah. Very nice. So is there much of a knife-making community where you live? Well, here in the United States, I'm in New York State, which is um, – I'm in – actually, I'm about an hour north of New York City and uh, where I grew up. And there's a lot of blacksmiths, and there are a number of knife-makers in the Hudson Valley. Yeah. Um, it's uh, – you know, the uh, – the blacksmithing and the blade community have been really growing. And a lot of it is people be able to see it through Instagram and social media and stuff like that. But there are a number of really high-level guys in the Northeast of the United States. Yeah, yeah. And why do you think that is? Why do you think it's growing at such a rate? I've, I've discussed this before on previous episodes, and everybody seems to come up with this, with a similar sort of theme. And I'm just, I'm just wondering, curious about your, your opinions on that. Well, it's interesting. I, you know, be honest with you, I was a, I started out as a sculptor. I was a steel sculptor, metal worker. And then I, I ended up working for a blacksmith shop. Um, it's called, it, it's called, called now Fine Architectural Metalsmiths, which is connected to Center for Metal Arts, which is the, one of the best blacksmith, sh uh, learning schools in the Northeast. Right. And when I was there, uh, 10, 15 years ago, there was really social media really hadn't kicked in yet. And there I was working under a lot of blacksmiths by the name of Uri Hoffey and Fred Christ and John Ledford. And these were guys who are, you know, they were in, incredible wealth information. But you were seeing blacksmiths um, that were just they, you weren't seeing a lot of new guys. And once and it, was, it seemed like it was a dying business. And one of the things was with blacksmithing, especially was there was a, there's a community there's an organization called Abana in um, the United States and at the time when I joined 15 years ago there was only 3,000 members 3,000 plus members 
And with the rise of social media and people seeing what's going on with blacksmiths and now bladesmiths and with the show Forged in Fire, you're getting a real uh, – you're seeing a lot more tool makers, hammer makers and, and craftsmen, especially in the United States. And it's it's incredible. It's It's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. I mean, from my point of view, I think – well, I, I mean, I've been making things all my life, but the last sort of 15 years, they've been digital things. And, you know, right. they, they're not tangible. They, they don't last. You know, uh, my, my portfolio is gone within six months. But I, I love sort of the whole thing of getting something in your hand, making it and feeling it and making something that you can use daily as well, you know. And I think maybe more and more people are feeling that way, maybe. They, I, I think there's something to that. I mean, for me, I mean, I was an art major, and when I was a kid, I, I, oh, my, I wasn't allowed to have certain toys that I wanted. My father showed me how to use band saws and tools and stuff like that. So I was making a lot of my own toys at a young age, and mm. you know, swords and bows and arrows and all that stuff. And the dangerous, fun stuff, for sure. But <laughs> yeah. what, what, what? I in the beginning, I had certain things that I wanted to make, but then. What happened was it wasn't really about the thing that I was going to make, but it was the journey of making something new. Yes. And when I became a sculptor and I went to art school, it was it was about creating something and then presenting it. And then I was a chef. I was a cook. And, you know, it was the same thing. It's you're taking uh, raw ingredients and you're using proper techniques and you're giving it to someone you care about, whether it's making a knife or making food or making sculpture the, the the buzz that you get from creating something is palpable. And I used to say when I used to make sculpture, I used to make I make these giant fishing lures out of wood and steel and stuff like that. I used to say to people that um, when you're a sculptor or you're a maker, it it doesn't really matter. You could be on a deserted island with no hope of rescue and you'd still be compelled to make what you want to make. And that's. It's just a, it's a compulsion. It has to be a compulsion. Yes, yeah. And I suppose with a background as a chef and a blacksmith, making making blades, I pulled the, it's, I, I it's got inevitable, too close isn't it? To the chef. I got a little bit too <laughs> too gun. I shot from the hip with the chef thing. I went to culinary school where I was never a chef. I was a cook for a long time. And I work with a lot of chefs, which is a lot of fun. And my partner's a chef. But I, I got a little bit ahead of myself, Craig. I apologize. <laughs> so, so when did it become a job for you? When did you think this is going to pay the bills? This is going to, you know, this is going to keep my family happy. This is going to be what I need to be doing. Well, we're still in the make the family happy stage. I, uh, I was a sculptor for a long time, 20 years, and I had galleries and I was working on stuff. And basically what happened was I was, I was helping at this – a friend of mine, John Ledford, started a, a school called – um, the Hudson Valley Ironworks. And we were bringing a lot of knife makers like Matt Paul of MP Knives and uh, Darren Fisher, who's an incredible blacksmith. And we would have blacksmiths and jewelers. And I was teaching sculpture classes. And I started helping with Matt Paul, who does incredible bushcraft knives. And I had a you know a history of, of forging knives and for, not forging knives, but forging, you know, ornamental ironwork. And yeah. I was a, you know, a blacksmith, you know, a busy blacksmith for quite a while. And um, I just started fooling around. When you're forging knives, when you're forging anything, you can always usually have a couple things in the in the oven so or in the forge, I should say. And it was easy for me while I was working on some railings to have a couple knives to fool around and kind of work out, you know, the proper way, the best way for me to do knives. And, and then all of a sudden I started getting commissions and I kept it very quiet with my wife because I didn't want her to think I was crazy. And I started making more, you know, hunting the style knives. And then 
forging, you know, do like brute to forge style knives. Yeah. And then um, I started getting commissions and then it came to the point where I was getting so many commissions that it was hard for me to just not go to the next step. And I approached my good friend, Tony Ayazi, who used to be the executive chef at uh, Oriole and now is owns this great uh, computer company, uh, uh, a tech company called Shoebox. And I needed help. And he stepped in and became my partner. And we're still at the growing stage in terms of, uh, you know, we're on it. We have a payroll company and we're paying each other and we're paying rent on places and paying lawyers and paying all this stuff. But we're not uh, knives are not uh, knives aren't sending me to the beach. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? We're still in the growing stages, but it's been really great. Yeah. And it's that thing, isn't it? How how will that scale? You know, hand making a beautiful knife, you know, how do you scale well, scale that? Well, right at this point now, I'm doing everything. And I've always really felt like, I mean, I'm not, I, I, I feel like I'm still young as a knife maker for sure. And I'm, that's the best part. The best part is, you know, meeting and talking to other knife makers. I'm really excited. I'm going to the blade show in Atlanta in a couple months and the meeting uh, really, really amazing bladesmiths. And I'm really, the, the, the idea that, I'm going to be growing as a, you know, I'm on a journey. I'm on my own journey and at the level that I'm at, and I'm looking forward to getting better and better and better. And every knife you make, you know, and every knife you make, you pick something new up and you make it better. And and it's just, it's, it's, it's an incredible journey. And I just, a real quick story, really, that's just actually perfectly, this is a good story. Yesterday I went to, um, I went to this place, this uh, famous restaurant supply store for chefs. It's called JB Prince. And I was there with my partner and we were there with a couple other people and we were looking and we saw they have incredible knives from from all over the place. But a lot of them are, you know, company made knives, Hanks Willings and all that. And then there was this one knife there from uh, Mariko um, Momasi. I hope I'm saying his name right. Um, Momasi Fire Arts. And it was it was sitting on this wooden block in the case, and it was just stunning to the point where I started to get blue. I started to get a little bit blue because just like this guy <laughs> is just top of the line. It was an integral chef's knife, which you know an integral chef's knife is where the bolsters part yeah. of the blades forged through the and the bolsters kind of forged into the blade. And I was reading this little note, and it, and it was this clean knife. It had koa, curly koa, and everything was slick and it looked like a, it looked like a, just a beautiful steel knife and everything like that. Nothing special. I saw a little hamon in it. And it was just, you know, beautiful. And then there was this note on it, and the note said, "Well, this is the, this is Mariko's knife." Blah blah blah. He's giving me all the details, and then it says, "This is a Damascus knife." That's, and then all of a sudden I read a Damascus knife, and I'm looking at the knife, and it's shiny. It's got, you know, the the hand buffed. It, it doesn't look like an. It just I see like a carbon steel knife with a hamon. Yeah. And then I read, keep reading, and I'm, and I'm, and all of a sudden I have this. I can't believe it. What he did was he he made it so clean, and he he didn't etch it. He didn't etch the blade. Right. Yeah. So his his idea was that when you work it, you know, when you're you, the natural use of this knife will reveal the the Damascus. Ah, right. So like, yeah. So. It's like instead of the whole idea of a lot of people get bummed out when they have a, a carbon steel chef's knife and they're bummed out when it starts to patina, he's he's a lot, he's like changed the whole idea. Well, he might not be I've never seen it before. And so when you're using a knife during daily use, it just you slowly reveal the the Damascus. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm just like, God, this is incredible <laughs> and fantastic. And I'm telling my partner and I'm looking at it and I'm showing him. I'm saying, you see that? And this is what's going to happen. 
And then next to me, there's this guy, this cook who's been overhearing us. And he just kind of gets closer to me and he goes, hey, you like that knife? And I said, yeah, it's incredible. And I, you know, I've just, you know, just like losing my mind over this, over this knife. And he goes, I got something better for you. You got to go down to, <laughs> then he named another store and he says, you got to go down there, man, because there's a, a knife with a white handle. And, and he gets closer as he's speaking, he's speaking quietly. He's looking over his shoulder. He says, this knife is so, this is knife is unbelievable. It's so nice. You're going to see it and you're going to get an erection. And I immediately <laughs> thought this, I, it just like completely shut the whole conversation. It was really funny because what he was basically saying was he didn't, he had no real concept of, you know, that level of knife, but he was just trying to involve himself. And it was this very odd New York moment, but it was amazing because I was looking at the, the, the incredible craftsmanship of, you know, this incredible knife from, from uh, Mariko. And then this guy was like trying to sell me on a white handled uh, willing, something like that. It was yeah. pretty funny. <laughs> but that's a really interesting concept of that of Damascus unetched and letting it reveal its beauty over time. It, you know, it I had makes, never seen it before. It would make I'd you want to use the item more, which is brilliant. Well, that's yeah. I mean, that was the whole thing. I mean, you're totally reversing the idea of 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 like, uh, how do I keep it so it doesn't do that? And then it's almost like you want to work it harder to force the etch by cooking. And it, it was just like a fascinating. It was just fascinating. But it was like it made me blue in the beginning because it was just like, <laughs> God damn, my, my knives will never be this nice. And then all of a, and then all of a sudden at the end, I was like, I'm looking forward to making, you know, the more I make the better I get, and seeing this is going to inspire me to work harder for the next one. Yes, yeah, yeah. So let's, let's talk a bit about process. So sure. of, of all the, the many processes involved in making a great knife, you know, steel selection, the forging, the profiling, grinding, all the rest of it, what, what's your favorite and what's your least part of making a knife? That is an awesome question <laughs> um, because, because I, you know, I, I started out doing a lot of uh, – forge knives and i st- and now i'm starting to get back into doing more forge knives and with the new shop and having i'm having a power hammer built i plan on doing more damascus and i did some damascus with um aaron wilburn of wilburn forge the the part i love the best is i would say i don't know you know i, I like the i like talking to my customers because the way my business is a little bit different than a lot of guys is I usually we have a conversation and I really try to make customized knives for the particular customer. So yeah, yeah. I, I, I do we do a consultation and then I'll really kind of go with what you want to do. And I, I really enjoy meeting the customer and talking to the customer before I even made anything. I also do a lot of watercolors beforehand so I can get some colors, you know, squared away. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy that. Um I, I'm not crazy about the hand sanding because, you know, <laughs> and I'm not crazy about dealing with plunge lines, but, uh, yeah. other than that, it's, I love working with the customer. That's my favorite part is having a relationship with the customer and trying to make them something that they've envisioned, something that they want and, um, something that I could provide. And I, um, I like heat treating too. I like heat treating. That's the scary part for me, you know, um, whether you're, if you're doing a stainless steel and you're 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 putting in between two pieces of aluminum with uh, um, with some compressed air and hoping it's flat, or you know you, you're or you're bringing your knife up to fifteen fifteen hundred and hoping that when you dunk it into the, your oil it doesn't warp, you know there's a little bit of nervousness there. That's uh, it's always very exciting. 
Yes, yeah. And do you generally use one kind of steel, like 1095 D2 or stainless, or do you just, whatever the job needs, you'll use whatever you think is best for that job? When I started, I used a lot, when I was forging knives, I started with a lot of 1095, yeah. um, and it just became very easy for me to get a, get a, get a hold of. And then in the, the people, my customer, a lot of my customers wanted stainless steel. So I was getting um, 440C stainless steel and i've fooled around a little bit with um some other stainless steels um but you know it, i don't you know yeah and then you know with damascus obviously you're getting you know, into that 15 end yeah okay so you so know. like most creatives you, you probably got many other creative outlets out there um and i know sort of offline you've told me about a few of those but what do you get up to when you're not making knives well, I, I was formally trained as a sculptor, and um, I do a lot of wood carving. I do these. I, I when I was in college, I started doing all these uh, um, giant fishing lures. So I do these giant fishing lure sculptures, and um, it's you know totally different um, mechanics, but it's the same outline in terms of like you have an idea, and then you kind of um, you kind of cut it out and then carve, you have your plan and then you kind of execute. So yeah. I do a lot of these, uh, giant lure sculptures and, uh, that's something that, uh, I've always loved to do. And, you know, I feel like it's gotten me ready to make knives, you know, and it's also, it's also map groups. My last, um, project was I did a, uh, I did a, uh, installation of 60 needlefish lures. And I had a friend who was a bronze caster and he, was uh, knocking out a lot of casts of uh, uh, bronze sculptures, and then what he would do was he was uh, uh, he was telling me that you just have to recast them, and I, I as a just to kind of you know give it to him, I decided that I was going to make carve and paint sixty identical fishing lure sculptures. So it was this it was total madness. It drove me crazy. It was just really difficult. But it allowed me, you know, the mindset to actually do knives in batches. So, like, now I do um, these sig- these chef signature series knives where I collaborate with a chef and then we'll design something. And then what we'll do is we'll sell a set of 12 uh, limited series and then I'll make all 12 at the same time. So actually doing the sculptures, the 60 Needlefish, allowed me the uh, – I mean, it gave me, like, the the – the blueprint for making sculptures in back, uh, making my, my mistake, making knives in batches, which was a huge yeah. help. Yeah. Okay. I'm, and I've been looking at them today, actually, on Instagram, and they, they look fantastic. Really yeah, fun. they're fun. They're fun. Cool. I cool. actually started doing those because I, was, I had a studio in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, back in after I graduated college, and it was a welding shop, and and um, it was a very dark and you know gray and. And then I started doing these little painted wooden sculptures to kind of brighten the place up a little bit. So actually, those that color kind of fits into. I really like for the handles of my chef knives, especially. I really like high contrast colors. Yeah. So I've been doing with a lot of uh, a lot of high contrast colors, which have you know harkens back to the days of being an artist. I think. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the great thing. You can you know you can express yourself and be creative while making these one-off knives, which is, which is fantastic. So what's on your bench today? What's your current project? Well, it's funny that you say that because um, I actually just got back from uh, – I, I ran up to Boston, uh, outside of Boston, uh, Gloucester, 
to pick up a sculpture for a restaurant. So I've been actually I've been in the car for uh, eight hours. And right now what I'm working on is I'm working on this set of 12 knives. I did it with Chef Charlie Palmer, um, kind of getting those ready to uh, I finished uh, grinding them, grinding the bevels in and uh, finished hand sand, you know, rough hand sanding just to get a, get squared away. And then I'm going to drill drill them and do the file work for them. And then in the meantime, I got to start another 10 that are kind of, you know, I haven't really gotten to yet, but I'm looking forward to that. So tomorrow it's all, all, all knives tomorrow. All knives, all knives, all, all day. knives tomorrow, <laughs> all knives tomorrow, all day. Yeah. I, I, the sculpture thing is kind of, I was kind of buttoning up some loose ends. So, but I like to do that too. Yes. Yeah. It's always good. Oh, it's good to mix it up a bit. Always good. Well, tell me, tell me about what you tell me about your. Now we're gonna get. Now I'm gonna interview <laughs> the interviewer because, Craig, I, I heard your first two podcasts. I really enjoyed hearing about uh, Walter and Eric, but uh, Walter and uh, and Alec. But I want to know about Craig Lockwood. Okay. I want to tell yeah. you more about. I want to know about what makes you tick. Tell me about your when you started knife making. What got you into knife making? It was, I think, YouTube really. Um, so I've always been making stuff, you know, as I said, I've making stuff digitally. You know, I've been a web developer for most of my life, but um, just just feeling that need to, to make physical stuff. So right. I was doing this project called Craig Makes, where I'd make a new a new thing each day, a new physical thing. Um, didn't really, you know, didn't really know much about woodworking or metalworking at all. That was maybe a couple of years ago. And um just really got into into it from that and just finding these great resources out there such as youtube where there's you know there's somebody out there who can tell you how to make anything um, who's your who who are your who are your who are the guy who are the knife makers on youtube that you you like to you like to watch yeah well weirdly it's, it's instagram really for knife makers for me um so on youtube there's the you know the general makers you know jimmy Duresta and you know alex Steele, right. these guys so you know they're amazing they're making these these amazing yeah. things and um, that's really what got me into it. And um, making my first knife was just, wow, wow, this is really cool. And I've always had that sort of fascination with knives. You know, Tell me about your first knife. My first knife was from my grandfather. So he always had these, this chest of drawers at the, at the top of his stairs in his house. And I remember, you know, as a young kid, I always remember these drawers. And in the bottom drawer were the knives. Probably not right. the safest place to keep knives with kids around, but hey. Well, <laughs> at least with you, with you around. Okay. <laughs> but he, he had these collection of old pocket knives, pen knives. Right. Um, and he gave me this, it was maybe two, three inches with an old ivory handle. And, and I loved it. I was maybe eight or nine at the time. So it was my first knife. And I loved it. And I just found that his knives just seemed so, so sort of precious to me. You know, he, he looked after them in such a way that they were, they were like jewelry almost. Whereas my right. grandmother would keep her jewelry in special places, he'd keep his knives, knives in, in you know, in, with just the same care. Um, so when I made my first knife, that sort of I thought, wow, this is something that I can use, and it's it's got you know it's got this this function to it where I can actually use it every day, and it's and I loved it. So then you know you make your next knife, and you think, wow, that first knife was crap. Then you make your next well, knife. Well, that's the best. Exactly. And and the last knife you've made is always crap. And um, I just love that. That it, it's, it's a journey. I'm never going to make the That's first. the best. You hit the nail on the head. Craig. Yeah. That's the, that's the best part. It's it's knowing. And this is, you know, as, a, as an artist, I have a friend who I was an artist. And one of the things that what he did was he refused to sell his work. And he was very nervous about selling his work. 
And I always try to get to the bottom of why that is. And I realized later in life, it was because it was a fear that if he ever got rid of that piece of art, he'd never be able to replicate it. Like it was almost like this feeling of like, well, I can't do better than that, where that's like this almost like this idea of, I don't want to say cowardice, but I mean, it's like a fear that you can't do it again. And the best thing you can do as an artist or a maker or a knife maker or a sculptor, whatever, is to is to say, well, I know the next one's going to get better. So I don't really care about this last one. So there's a, a old uh, and I might be totally wrong, with, but I, I believe Picasso said, kill your babies. But the idea was once you finish your the piece that you're working on, get rid of it and the next one's going to be better. And that's a mindset that helps you as a a maker or a knife maker or a sculptor say, yeah, that was a great experience. I learned a lot from it. I learned what I'm going to do better next time. And I don't care what happened. You know, give this one away or sell this one or don't get too caught up with it and get on to that next one. That's you're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. And I love the sheer utility of a knife as well. You know, I've got some really, really ugly knives in my kitchen. You know, right. some that I've made, some that others have made, um, but they work fantastically well. So I know where some people, you know, they, they have these show knives that they don't really use, but they look incredible. Um, right. I prefer the utility of a knife to um, to its beauty. That doesn't mean to say it can't be both. But um, right. It is. Well, that's me, a fine line. Utility. Yes, exactly. Exactly. It's also a fine line when you're when you're a knife maker selling your work. Is the idea there's there's you know I I I saw Mariko Momasi's knife and the thing was unbelievable and mm-hmm. I and I have actually taken class with um, Nick Anger or Anger yeah uh, depending on where you are and his knives are in, exquisite and and Aaron Wilburn his knives are shockingly made they're beautiful I would be too afraid to use any of them and it got to the point where I I've um I really felt like. One time a guy came to my shop and he had bought, he had ordered a knife and um, he came with this glass box with like a velvet pillow. And I said, what's that for? And he goes, well, when I deliver the knife, I want to put it in this. And I said, well, number one, it looks like a coffin. And number two is you got to get rid of this because if they if they think this is precious, they're never going to use it. Yeah. And yeah. I really feel like especially with chef's knives, you know, I price my knives. I try to do everything to make them. I want you to kick this knife's ass. I want you to use this knife. I want you to, and I always say when I send the knife in the mail or I send an email to someone, I want you to use it in good health and just, you know, use it like you, it's meant to be used. Otherwise it's like, you know, if you, if it's an investment and you have a Bob, you know, a $30,000 Bob Kramer knife. Okay. I got you. Hmm. you don't, don't, don't touch it. Don't even breathe on it. Don't even go to the same <laughs> room that it's in. But if you want a knife that you're going to use every day and then feed your family with and use and, and and just use with the good memories and good feelings you know that's that's important too yes definitely definitely um so we I wait well, I'm sorry for interrupting one last thing no sure sure you were saying you were saying you were talking about um on the YouTube video guys yes uh, you watch Alex Steele and Jimmy Jimmy Duresta. who's who what knife guys do you like um n- not really any on YouTube that I've really come across there's the I tell you what I'm fast. I'm glad that you said that because when I first started doing knives, the first knives I made were with uh, uh, Matt Paul of MP Knives, and I started going on. There's two dudes, two guys, yeah, who just helped me tremendously. One is Trollsky, Trollsky Knives. He makes these incredible videos of of uh, how to make knives and how he goes through his knives, and Aaron Goff. Ah, you have got to do whatever it takes to get on this podcast. <laughs> 
Aaron yes. Goff. I've seen makes, Aaron's videos, actually. Yes, yes. His videos are incredible. And it's like he can teach someone who doesn't have hardly anything. Well, both of them, Trollski and Aaron Goff, both show you how to make a knife with – you don't need a grinder. You don't need uh, a heat treating oven. You don't need, a, you know, belt sanders. You don't – with minimal tools, how you can make a knife. And the things that I learned – just watching both of their videos, I was on like this total loop of the two of them. But I mean, Aaron <laughs> Goff is like, especially yes, he's, yeah. he's, he's in a mental patient when it comes to his knives, his knives are like pristine and he does the same one. And it's just incredible. Every single one. And he's upgrading everything, but his instructional video is incredible. I saw a video where he did a, a shop tour and it was like a, like a hospital wing. It was yeah. so clean. It was unbelievable. Unbelievable. Well, the best guys. I mean, that's the case. I mean, your perfect example is Nick Wheeler. He's another guy. Nick Wheeler on Instagram. He's Nick Wheeler in the noofs. And um, <laughs> he's probably one of the great. I mean, as far as I, I mean, I've never seen. I mean, his his knives are incredible. But with the videos that he does is he does incredible tips, incredible tips on. I, I'll never make knives as nice as Nick Wheeler. That's just going to that's just, I'm fine with that. I'll live with that. That's fine by me. His knives are like pristine and he does these tips. And the funny thing about his tips, his videos are, his little videos are awesome. His tips are great. And he always has this incredible soundtrack. It's like this kind of smooth jazz or like smooth jazz in the background. And he just does these tips with this kind of slick music. He's outstanding, a great resource. Nick Wheeler. Unbelievable. I've just just made a note of all these, so I'll be checking all these out later. Oh, I have a whole (laughs) list. I got a list for you. I have a total list for you. Fantastic. Um, Send them over. (laughs) Well, the other thing is, is like, I mean, you know, the the interesting thing is the whole bladesmith and blacksmith group. um, There's like a, there's a, there's a connection there. You know, there's a huge connection. You know, blacksmiths were the guys who were making railings. They were making uh, utensils. They were making things for your home. And then it kind of splintered off into the bladesmiths. And if you want to get really, you know, learn about forging in general, um, I mean, I could list off a million of them, but the Center for Metal Arts is a place in uh, New York and it's run by Pat Quinn. And he also has a great Instagram and he does tight, tight, tight forging hammers. There's a lot of hammers. Jake, uh, Jake Farum, he's another guy who makes incredible hammers. There's a, there's a real resurgence of tool making. Um, that's, it's just, Instagram has become this real beautiful, uh, place. You get guys who just post pictures of like me because my Instagram actually fader knives is linked to my website. So if I, if I can take a, do a nice picture of a knife and it goes to my website yeah. and then Jeff fader does the sculpture, but there's just incredible, especially United States. But one of the, one of the unsung heroes in the world, I don't know if it's unsung. I'm just saying that Australians. The knife makers in Australia are out of control. Really? It's unbelievable. Yeah. It's all Bowie knives. They're, and oh, and on my mistake, there's a lot of incredible chef's knives. Um, the, the knife makers in Australia are setting up very, very high tone. It's unbelievable. I love it. Yeah, yeah. And they've got access to some amazing woods over there for their scales, too. I mean, big lots time, of, lots big of time. woods, that kind of stuff. Lovely. Big time. I've heard for the first time yesterday, I heard of the word beef wood. I never heard of, I didn't even know there was such a thing as beef wood. Mm. There was, you learn something new every day. Beef wood. <laughs> How dare you? Unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what are you finding challenging? Um, anything that you'd love to make, but you haven't quite built up to it yet? I well, mean- it's cool. I'm, I'm, 
I'm really trying to get to the point where I'm doing more. I want to get to the point where I'm doing less stock removal knives and more forge knives. And the forge knives I really want to do more of is I want to do more integral knives. Um, I love, as of, you know, I was formally trained as a blacksmith. Forging steel is, I kind of understand, I understand the, the mechanics of it. It's, you know, all the mechanics have did it for such a long time. And now I want to kind of get back into, now that I did so much in stock removal and kind of clean stuff, I want to get back into uh, integral knives. The integral knives, you really, usually you're, you're starting out with a thick piece of, yeah, you yeah. know, a square bar, and then you, you're kind of you're forging it down, and then you're kind of, I'm having a hard time with uh, getting that heel 90 degrees to the bolster. Um, like the great, here's another, here's another one to write down, Nick Rossi. Nick Rossi does, teaches at the New England School of uh, Metalwork. And he teaches, he actually posted pictures of the progression of forging um, integral chef knives. So you'll see a four-stage progression, and it's like exquisite. I mean, he's just, and he makes it look, all these, all these guys, they make it look easy. Nick Anger, all these guys, they make it look easy. But uh, that's, for me, it's that and working with Damascus. That's what it, that's the hardest part for me. But I want to do more of it. Yeah, I, th- I think for me, it's just trying to make a good serrated knife. I, I've, I've tried two or three times, never really given it that much time. But um, what do you, what? How do you do it? Hand files. So yeah, you grind you grind your blade as normal, so a complete flat grind, and then just using hand files to make your. I've tried it with spikes. I've tried it with rounded serrations. I've tried it with everything. Just get, just can never get them good. <laughs> I I will the first time I had to do it I had to do the set of knives for hmm. um for a guy and he wanted a bread knife and I'd never made one before. Yeah. So what I did was I made my template I made the blade length longer like like the heel longer when I drew it all out. Yeah. And then where the blade was I marked out every quarter of an inch, right? Yeah. And then I made a, a center punch mark every quarter of an inch. And then I drilled every center punch. So then ah. when I cut the line, when I but then before I did before I cut the line, I I um I used a, a steel uh a steel countersink to kind of countersink it so you made the scallops. Right. Gotcha. And then yes. it set the tone. It set the tone for where all the all the you know I spent the time center marking I don't I think it was less I think it was an eight every it was yeah, every quarter of an inch because then I use an eighth inch drill bit to to hit every center point and then I could spend the time focusing on the placement of the center punch holes and then once all the holes were drilled and all the um, counter sinks were kind of bu- I bumped it so the counter sinks would touch each other you know the one yes, next to each yeah. other would counter each other and then all you're doing is you're running across the bandsaw and then you already set the tone for your for where the and then you have a very you you have a very it's a, it was a it was a, a great way and then I ground it down and That's then I great touched tip. everything up with a, then I touched everything up with a chainsaw file and it turned out great. Great tip. Yeah. The problem that people do, the problem that with um, it, a lot of chefs, one of the fa- the famous, not famous, but one of the knives that a lot of chefs like, they're usually not expensive, are they're called offset serrated knives. And it's great in a, in a professional kitchen because for slicing, for cutting, for doing something quick, for they're just like, they're great and they're thin and they're usually light. But if you look at the blade, the blade isn't like teeth of a shark. It's like it's like 
um, it's more like scallops. Yeah, yeah. So that actually is better for the scallops are better for slicing stuff as opposed to bread knife, which is more, which is, I guess, I don't know, I might be completely wrong, but it's better, easier for, uh, I ended up having to really file down. You don't want it too toothy, otherwise it tears your tears your bread and uh you know breadcrumbs yes yeah yeah well i've recently set up a new workshop in france we've just bought a house over in france and um wow where in france um well it's, it's the dordogne's but it's, it's sort of right in the middle of france the furthest away from a beach you could possibly be wow um, but the bread there is fantastic it's, oh it's yeah just what the, do you need to, yeah so yeah i need Excellent. to make good bread knives that's that's what i need to do so that's it that's a great tip that's a really good tip thank you very we much we were in paris over the summer we my wife and i spent uh we we uh, uh, we saved up and we went to England where I dropped a knife off for a friend of mine in uh, Winchester. And then we went to, we took our daughter to my daughter to Paris. So that was like a bucket list trip that now my daughter is, uh, <laughs> she wants to be a chef and, and she likes the fact that I deal with a lot of chefs all the time. So she wants their, uh, you know, but uh, Paris is, you know, France is just an incredible place, but it you, is, but yes, you yes. must be not too far from, uh, Lyol. No, we're, we're a fair distance. So where, oh, really? I, where I'm based in the UK, uh, which is in Wales, which is, is quite in England, um, right. I'm actually closer to Paris here than I am when I'm at the house in France. Huh. Um, <laughs> yeah, which baffles me. But uh, What's the Eurostar? We took the Eurostar. We did the Eurostar from, and that was a pretty quick trip. Yes, yeah. I mean, London to Paris. Yeah, I mean, I can, I can fly there, you know, so it's, it's from the local airport, so it isn't too bad, but... Uh, but yeah, so bread knife, that, that's going to help me a hell of a lot. <laughs> well, I just had a rather curiosity. My, my, one of my favorite knives of all time, and it, it, it's something that I've always really wanted to do, is I really want to do folding knives. And I've, I've mm. fooled around with a couple, and it just I, it, it didn't, didn't, they didn't come out the way I wanted them to. And the, the, the mechanism is, is nope, not a big deal, but it's just like I just not, I'm not willing to like, you know, say, okay, I'm going to make these and try to sell them. My favorite knife of all time is one of them is uh, a Laiole. Laiole is this classic French. Uh, it's more, I don't know, maybe a more like a Basque style knife. It's a very. It's mm. a. They're usually like in the United States. They're like waiters' knives, and they're they have file work on the back. There's usually a B at the front of the knife, and the knife is has you know on the on the um, the slip joint part. There's a lot of file work and. There's the it's some one of the most famous knife companies. I mean, tell me if I'm wrong. In France, it's it's um they're they're so classic that those guys are, are they make just incredible pocket knives. They do, and and even the local sort of news agents, the local shops, that they, they all have knife displays where they sell knives. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. Well, it also is. I mean, I, I don't like to do a, do a plug for Lyol, but online you can actually customize the knife. I really like the fact that you can you know you can basically customize the knife you want and then you know a couple of weeks later they'll they'll make that you know you'll get something in the mail from france and it's this kind of cool little pocket knife <laughs> yeah i mean and again you know other french like opinel that kind of stuff you know i love yeah, them yeah. Oh, just yeah, for the, yeah. For the sheer utility of them they're cheap um but they hold an edge they're they're you know they're great little knives i wondered if they actually even heat treated those open needle knives <laughs> I, I get so many bends in them, and I just wonder. I'm like, what is going on? No, that's why they're fifteen dollars a knife. Exactly. I, the, the tips keep coming off for me, but that's you know, when you need a screwdriver, so, you just pick one up quickly and it break a tip. Tell me, Craig. Tell me, Craig. When you look at chef knives, yeah, what kind of chef knives do you like? Well, this is something I've been toying with a lot over the last maybe month or two. So. um when I first started, I was making almost sort of Santoku kind of, you know, Japanese yeah. sort of inspired things. 
Right. Um, but maybe it's maybe spending time in France, I don't know. But more of a traditional Western knife is what I've been making over the past four or five weeks. Right. Um, and just loving the, the sheer beauty of that. Um, so, yeah, I think I'm going into a more sort of traditional sort of style, maybe. When I started doing, I wanted to do uh, my version of a Japanese style knife, and I wanted to do a full tang gyoto or uh, mm. those Japanese kind of like uh, Santuco style. Yeah. And because one of the things about my knives is that I do a lot of file work, and um, I like doing the file work. I think it's a really um, beautiful addition. I think that it's it's not so difficult. That I think that you know you're throwing a little bit of extra on the knife. I think it's just a nice little bit of flair especially for you know you just not something you normally see on chef's knives in general yeah, um, yeah. I usually do about three inches of it so i wanted to include that and and you know they change uh, the one thing i will say is about i started doing the wa style handles the wa style handles are the japanese style um like for the japanese sushi knives and stuff like that basically you're making a, a uh um a hidden tang knife and then you're kind of slipping it into the wooden uh handle yeah and yeah. a lot of and, times and do you burn find, them on or do you, do you drill a hole i don't know you know what i i learned from um i learned another guy to look at is dalman um dalman knives he yes, makes he's yeah. in sweden he makes really awesome um wa style handles his wa style handles are great i um what i do is um i've been fooling around what i do is i drill out I make my stick, my hidden tang, about three-eighths of an inch, and then I'll drill through my wood the three-eighth inch hole, and then I'll take some wood sometimes, and I'll kind of I'll put I'll take a three-inch uh, three-eighth dowel and I'll cut it a little bit, and I'll make it so it can slide in, and then I'll make the top part of the bolster. Um, I'll kind of drill out and then file it so the knife fits in exactly and. Yeah. You know, it's a kind of it's a very clean. Um, it's a fussy handle, but it's a it becomes very clean. Yes. And then recently, I've been doing, I've been trying to fool around with. I learned from uh, Mariko Musasi, uh, Mumasi, and uh, Nick Wheelers. They do this. Um, what they do is they'll put a little bit of beeswax on the, their stick tang, and then they'll fill the hole up of their handle. I don't know. This isn't going to come through very easy, but if they fill the hole up of the handle with epoxy and then they put the beeswax onto the knife and then you drop it in and then you get it straight and when it dries you heat it up the the knife will just up a little bit so it melts the beeswax and then you can pull out the your knife blade and then you have the exact fitting of your of where your knife needs ah, to be very nice that thing, i tried that with a um i tried that with an integral knife and that was a really sl- i want to try i want to try that i want to fool around with that some more yeah, that was yeah. really kind of a neat way to go. Nice, nice interesting way of doing things. That um, so well, there's a million different ways. There's there's a million different ways, and there's no right way. And you you have to do what works for you. you yeah. Know? Oh, completely, completely. So I'm I'm very conscious that I've <laughs> I've kept you on the line for a long time. No, <laughs> I have another question for you. Sure, go for it. Go for it. How do you heat treat your knives? Um, I've got a small devil forge. Um, which which I think came from the States actually. Um, so it's just this double burners, two burners. Um, um, it'll take maybe a sort of 12 inch blade at most. Um, wouldn't want to put anything bigger in it really. Um, And then you just go to, you just go to, um, try to get to 1500 non-magnetic and then you quench. Exactly. Yeah. So, so I'm mainly using sort of D2 or maybe even O one uh, at times. Um, yeah. And it's straight into the oil. 
Um, and then I just use a domestic, you know, home oven for, you know, for, for tempering afterwards. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's, you know, I, 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 when I first started, I was doing so much, uh, and I know you want to get me off the line, but, uh, <laughs> oh, no, not one, real, not real quick is ice. When I was in the beginning, I was using a forge. I had a forge that I built with John Ledford actually bit it. My, uh, this blacksmith built this forge for me. And, um, I was doing heat treating that way of non-magnetic 1500 non-magnetic and then dumping it. And then when I started doing a lot of stainless steel, all of a sudden that goes out the window because you really yeah. have to you have to really be, you know, you're 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 so I would send my knives to my friend Kyle Daly, who would heat treat them for me. Yeah. And it got to the point where I was like, I just gotta get a heat treating oven. And having a heat treating oven, the two most important pieces of equipment I have really are the heat treating oven. The to, to, for making the knife making knives for me is the heat treating oven and then the seven by um Two by uh, uh, the two by seventy two inch grinder. Yes, yeah, yeah. So do you have an even heat? I assume. I have an even heat. Those guys make great ovens. They great do, ovens. they do, and the shipping is just as much as the actual oven to get one over oh, here. Well, for you, you I'm sure. I'm, <laughs> I'm not surprised. Yeah. I, I had to be home for when the shipping came on my thing. Yes, yeah. So yeah, the, the, I can't really find a, a decent European supplier. Um, hmm. and you know, there's lots of people, you know, doing homemade versions, that kind of thing. And I think maybe that's a route I'll go down. Um, it's got to that point. Well, you where... know, I, there's a, there's a knife maker and a machinist in California. His name is Tucker Paris. It's hmm. tap forge. Oh yes. And I he, follow them. Yes. Yeah. T- t- Tucker's a great guy and he's a super smart guy. He's like a real brain. He's, he's like a machinist for, uh, for um, I don't remember what college university he's at, but he he set up a temperature thermometer in his forge. Yeah, and I he I don't think it was very difficult, and that's really what it comes down to is being able to have control over your heat. And and if you maybe maybe there's something there, maybe Tucker can maybe Tucker can help you out with uh, yeah. kind of monitoring well, your forge. I do use a uh, like a laser thermometer kind of thing. Um, but it doesn't really help with sort of, you know, getting, you know, a good ramp of ramp of heat or, right. you know, for soaking things at a, you know, at right. a set temperature. Yeah. It's a lot of yeah. moving in and out. Um, but that does help in a way. Um, but, yeah, I think I'm at that stage where I need um, something, you know, to control the temperature a bit more. Well, maybe you need heat. to get it, you know, maybe I know that you have a deal with going on with Tormac, who I have a Tormac, which I love. There we the go. <laughs> Tormac, Tormac, this Tormac machine, I was so excited to get it. And I, 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 I'm looking forward to talking to Tormac guys when I go to the Blade Show. Cool. You need to get a you need to get a sponsorship from Even Heat. <laughs> Even Heat's got to hook you up. Those guys are awesome. They Those do. Guys are super they nice definitely on, on do. Instagram. We, come on, Even Heat. Come on, got to help Craig Lockwood out. I mean, he's we're giving you a good plug here. Even heat, it's even heat. Here, here's here. Even heat kilns or go fuck yourself. It's over. That's it. Brilliant. You do my job for me. That's great. That's it. <laughs> but actually, talking about Tomex, do you have the T4 or the T8? What, what, what I have the T8. T8. I have right. the T8. But I'm I'm kind of going back and forth with go. I I have the I like it very much, and I've used it different ways and. I have to figure out better ways in which to use the jigs. I, I'm having a hard time personally, and it's totally operator error, error in terms of using the the jigs uh, without scratching my knives up. I'm covering them up and stuff like that. But right, I'm yeah. shocked at how good how good it works. And and it's just I I I started out just going to resharpening some of my knives. It's just an awesome awesome machine. I love I love the Tormek. I'm yeah, psyched so. to have it. 
I'm good psyched stuff, to have good it. Stuff. Well, and I applied for your I applied I just signed up to to be in the running for the next one. So Oh yeah. Just, so just and, any that. listeners who would like a Tormac, oh, yeah. they they can get onto knifetalk.net and um, simply give us the email address, and we don't use it for anything that we shouldn't be using it for. It's literally for a competition. So on our tenth episode, we'll 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 have a winner, and they'll get oh, a, a T four in the post. We've got the full jig set, so you can you can sharpen axes, chisels, the rest of it. Um, and yeah, it. it's great. And it has it also they come with like a a, a little jig to kind of resurface your wheel, and it yes, has a. Yeah. Uh, two two grit stone to kind of make you go from coarse to smooth. It's a tight machine, man, and and, and, it, and it, you can't stop. I tried to stop it; it couldn't stop it. I couldn't stop it. It is awesome. It's <laughs> so, awesome. so here's a question for you, um, dude. The the one piece of kit in your workshop that you couldn't live without. Oh, you're killing me. It depends. You're killing me. You're killing me. You're killing me. <laughs> I'm having a power hammer built. When the power hammer comes, the power hammer is going to be the one piece of equipment. <laughs> Um, I don't know. You know, I have hammers that I love. I have a hammer I made for my, my friend Sunset Forge made me. I have a hammer from Jake Farum. I have a hammer from Uri Hoffi. I love my hammers. Hmm. <sighs> I love, I have a Beaumont KMG that is just a monster. It will, it is just a monster. I love that. Love the even heat. I'm trying to think about the one thing. I, I tell you what I love that I haven't even used yet. I got I just bought a anvil from Jesse Savage. It's a 1908 um, Hay Budden from Brooklyn. This thing is like the type that uh, Wiley Coyote dropped on, you know, <laughs> the Roadrunner. This is real classic style Looney Tunes anvil. Yeah, I can't. Craig, I, I'm at a, I'm at a loss. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you. I can't. Th- I can't think. You know, if if the if the shop's on fire and I got to run in there, I might die in there with the fire. I don't know what I'd grab first. <laughs> That's a good answer. Very good answer. So, but I'm going to wrap. It's up. trouble. <laughs> I am going to wrap up with a final question. Yes, um, sir. So there's, there's. Well, then I'm going to I'm going to ask you a question too. Sure, sure. We're switching sure. it up. <laughs> you ask your question, and I'll think of mine. Cool, cool. So we've we've talked about. I mean, you've given us, you've given me a huge list of resources to go to after the show. People I yes. need to be following, things I need to see. Yes. Um, and there's lots of resources out there for knife makers, bladesmiths, you know, whatever you may want to call yourself. Um, yes. Forums, YouTube channels, Instagram. Where do you find your inspiration outside of the traditional methods? I. That's an awesome question. I find a lot of my inspiration isn't necessarily from knife makers. Yeah. I really like uh, the, um, I get a lot of inspiration from sculptors. I get a lot of informa- uh, inspiration from um, artists. My uh, Growing up in New York City, I, I grew up with uh, the artist uh, Keith Haring. And what Keith Haring did for me was he kind of, he did the whole uh, he did these kind of cartoony drawings and it was crack as whack and he hung out with Madonna and Five Fab Five Freddy and he was like a huge part of the um, the art community in New York City in the eighties and what he did was was he really made art for the people yeah and he made it very accessible and that was something that was really important to me because I really felt as an artist that. Art isn't just about being in a gallery and only certain people can have it. And my old boss, uh, Lee Tribe, was a sculptor. He was made small steel sculpture, and he said it's important that art be approachable to a buyer. And that was really inspiring to me 
as a knife maker because I really want knives, my knives, to be approachable. I want people to have them and use them. Um, who would be my inspiration? I, you know, I, geez, Louise, I, I've, I've named them all. I've named them all on this, uh, throughout this podcast. Um, I, I you know, I, you're killing me. Some chefs, some chefs, Charlie Palmer is a huge inspiration. Um, it's the, it's the, it's the, it's the, it's seeing what people are doing. It's seeing what people are doing and, and, and just kind of, it doesn't really, doesn't have to be a knife maker. You know, it, yeah. people are kind of, it, that creative process is, is, is just so inspiring. And it's like today, yesterday, I got so inspired by uh, Mariko Musa, uh, Maomasi's knife. It just, it was, I got depressed and then I got inspired. <laughs> I got depressed and then I wanted to go out and I wanted to kick some ass. You know, I wanted to make something, you know, yeah. and, you know, it's, it's seeing, it's always wanting more and always wanting to see what other guys are doing and just trying to make your stuff better and just, you know, being excited for the future. Cool. Cool. Good answer. Good answer. All right. Who's your inspiration, Craig oof, Lockwood? Oof. Oof. Uh, Come right. on. <laughs> I think I, I'm going to I'm going to just rip you right off here and say yeah. almost the same thing. It's it's just seeing people's enthusiasm for things as opposed to yeah. a, a person. Um, and again, chefs, you know, that's, it's the reason I got into making chef knives specifically. It's because I love food and I wanted yeah. to make something yeah. I, could, I could use myself. And and, you know, I'm not talking, you know, high end, high end chefs here. I'm talking about people who. I mean, Jamie Oliver, for example, you know, yeah. as, as a young as a young boy, he, he got me cooking when, you know, particularly here in the UK, we didn't have cool chefs on the TV. Right. You know, it, it was it was the mum's job to do the cooking. Um, right. And he made it cool for anybody to go out and learn to cook. And, you know, he's not doing the most fancy food, but he's just getting more and more people cooking. And and, and you know, his his passion for what he does. That's what gets me going, you know, and it can be anybody doing anything. It doesn't have to be a chef. It doesn't have to be a knife maker. It could be, you know, a bike. That's builder. the best. It's yeah. It's all about, it's all about passion. That's what sort of gets me going. Outstanding. Great. Outstanding. Stuff. Craig, it was a pleasure to be on your podcast. Great. Thank- we should do it again sometime. We, we certainly should. It was great fun. So thank anytime, you. Anytime. Anytime. I'm with you. <laughs> and if you could if you could send over an email with with a list of those people I need to follow because um, I will I will give you a list and it's going to it's going to choke your computer. <laughs> I had to write actually before we met I had to write everything down because I was like I have got to mention all these people because you know here's a, another thing is is uh, Jesse Savage and Rick Barter have an awesome podcast it's called the Blacksmith's Pub. Yes. And Jesse I've... Jesse's the guy who told me you got to watch knife talk oh because really he got me jesse said jesse i was on his podcast the blacksmith's pub yep. which is on the burn network which you should be involved with just between you and me and everybody <laughs> listening and jesse was the one to say to me you gotta watch this you gotta watch we both listened to it and i was like this is unbelievable this is like because when you know when i do podcasts it's like dick jokes and intermits with the other things and and talking to you is like i feel like i'm on the bbc it's unbelievable <laughs> well maybe not quite but um yeah i discovered jesse's podcast just this week and i had a long train journey so i listened to a few episodes and it's great it's fantastic learned so much so thank you jesse for listening thank you oh jesse and my guy <laughs> well i think that's a good time to wrap up um, yes but, sir but again thank you so much jeff where, where can oh, people find you anytime. online well, there's Fader Knives, F-E-D-E-R-K-N-I-V-E-S. 
um, on on Instagram and um, um, well, obviously website uh, and Fader Knives on uh, Facebook. And then I do that's really the knives that I put on my website and the finished stuff. But for fooling around stuff, in progress stuff, sculpture, um, I have Jeff Fader with a G, Jeff Fader. G E O F F F E D E R on Instagram. And I do a lot of, there's a lot of sculpture stuff and you know, you know, there's through knives through there too. Great stuff. And I'll make sure I put all your recommendations up in the show notes as well. So people can find those, those guys and, um, and we should well, be good I, to go. I just like to say one last thing. Sure, sure. What you're doing, Craig is really important. And this is something that I didn't think 15 years ago when I was dealing with these kind of blacksmiths who were very, they were not passing on information. I felt like before Instagram, I felt like, well, this is the reason why blacksmithing isn't being passed on or bladesmithing in general, because there wasn't this kind of generosity and information given. And what you're doing with this podcast is so important for people who, you know, if you want to start out or you, you're at the highest level, you're about to do your master's. Uh, master smith test or you just want to do your own knife what you're offering is very very important and i'm very appreciative of what you're doing and that's it thank you very much thank you very much (laughs) speak to you soon jeff all right my man When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.